It's Christmas time. Amen. Isn't Christmas time just wonderful? It's a time full of carols and food and presents and family and food and singing and decorations and food. I mean, isn't it just amazing what happens? You, You put up the Christmas tree and all your problems just disappear. Isn't it amazing? So some of you want to keep your Christmas tree up all year long. Just like as long as that tree's up, there's no problems, right? Oh, I wish it was like that. I wish it was like that. But the reverse of this is actually true. There are things that get stirred up in the Christmas season that we actually don't experience at other times of year. There, there, there's some things that kind of Christmas has a way of bringing to the surface. And if we're not careful, these things can actually steal Christmas for us. And anyone watch the Grinch movie, the, the Grinch? Does anyone know the Grinch? Well, I want to tell you, there is not a furry green creature coming to steal your Christmas. But if you're not careful, there might be other things on their way to steal Christmas for you. In fact, I think there are five things that really get stirred up in our hearts around the Christmas time. Five things that if we're not careful, end up stealing our Christmas. Number one, persecution from other people because of our faith and our beliefs. Number two, if we're not careful, strife, family strife, family conflict will steal our Christmas. Number three, loneliness, feeling like no one's there for us can steal our Christmas. Number four, envy, lack of money, feeling like we just don't have enough and everyone else has more, that can steal your Christmas. And number five, doubts, doubts about our faith, about Jesus, about the virgin birth. These things can really end up stealing our Christmas away. And so for this series, we wanna talk into the things that might steal our Christmas in order to keep you encouraged and to remind you that the season is full of joy because we are celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is a worthwhile thing to celebrate. In fact, today what I wanna talk to you about is persecution. My hope is that you would not let persecution rob you of what Christmas is really about. You know, I heard the story once of a pastor who was building a treehouse in his backyard. And there was a neighbor's kid, this little boy, started getting really curious about what the pastor was doing. And so he started kind of, he stood on a bucket, he looked over the fence and he just was watching this pastor at work. The pastor noticed him, didn't pay too much attention to him. A few minutes later, he looks over, the boy's still watching him. Half an hour goes by, the boy's still watching him. The pastor kind of like is feeling like this is getting awkward now. Why is this kid watching me the whole time? A few hours go by. The pastor's still busy. He's got the wood out and the hammer and he's busy. And eventually he can't take it anymore. And he looks at the kid and says, hey, little guy, uh, why are you watching me? Are you trying to discover how I like learn how to build a treehouse? And the little boy goes, uh-uh. I just want to know what words the pastor says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> now, that really does illustrate a point. I mean, and, and what words does a pastor use, right? When he hits his finger with a hammer. But it illustrates a point that when people find out that you're a Christian, have you noticed that they, they pay attention a little bit differently. Like when your family members find out 
that you're following Jesus, when your friends find out that you're inviting them to a baptism, when your work colleagues find out that you're, you know, a person of faith, a religious person, have you noticed that it's like the mic is always on and the camera's always rolling and they're always just kind of watching you? They're kind of examining you. They, they treat you different. They look at you different. The moment they know your stance on the faith. Have you noticed that? I've certainly seen that being a pastor in a town this size. Uh, there are often people I bump into. You know, I walk in the mall and uh, I know someone thinks, or I, I, I realize someone has, knows me as a pastor just because of the way they look at me. Uh, guys in the box, I think there's a problem with the lights, Jeanette, if you can just go check the connections there. We're having a bit of a disco here. Um, but, you know, you'll just be walking, and, and I know sometimes because people are obvious about it, and they'll be like, hello, pastor, and they'll be like, hey, um, whoa, this is, there we go. Uh, shame. Sinead, do you mind just coming to check the connections quick? Um, let's give them a sec to, let's give them a hand. I know they're trying to get it right. I walk past and they'll be like, hi, pastor. But I also know sometimes people know I'm a pastor because they don't say anything. And they just look and they're like. <laughs> or they're like, please don't look at me. Please don't look at me. Like sometimes I'll get invited to a braai and no one knows who I am. And it starts out lovely, you know, because everyone's just relaxed. And everyone's just like really chilled. And they're just like, everyone's just talking freely and laughing and making jokes. And then someone goes and asks. So what do you do for a living? And I'm, in those moments, I'm often like, oh, why did you have to ask that question? And I'm like, you know, I, I'm in business, so part of me wants to just be like, I'm a graphic designer, you know? Um, but uh, instead, I'm like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. And I know the moment I say those words, everyone changes. They put a filter on, right? They just like, they change how they act. They're like, that wasn't my beer. That wasn't. <laughs> Someone was drinking here, right? They just, they, they, they change their jokes and they like often like get really religious and really serious and like suddenly their language is totally changed. And it, but it, because the moment you're outwardly about your faith, there's just eyes on you. And often what people are trying to examine, what they're trying to look for is, are you living up to what you're saying? Like often they're just kind of waiting for you to fall. Like they're waiting for you to fall in your face or trip up or they want to have like catch you up. Be like, aha, you see? You see, you can't do it. You can't live up to it. You see, you're not loving. You see, you didn't forgive. So often like we have this, this people have like almost binoculars stitched to their eyes and megaphones embedded in their ears and they're just kind of checking you out. And sometimes it goes beyond that. It's not just an overcritical observation of your life. Sometimes when you outward about your faith, people make some comments. It might cost you some relationships. People might invite you over a little bit less. They might debate you. They might argue with you. They might cut you off. Sometimes it can get violent. Often it can even go online and become quite, quite a heavy burden to manage. And I've got to ask you, like, how do, we, how do we deal with these moments of persecution when we are rejected or looked down upon, 
when we are treated badly, when we are overly criticized because of our faith. Because the reality is, it's probably gonna happen if it hasn't happened already. In fact, one of the reasons I love the book of Peter is because in the book of Peter, he talks about persecution of Christians and how Christians not just have to deal with criticism, but how we should act when you and I are persecuted. And I really want us to look into this because I believe some of you, even this Christmas, <laughs> might find yourself around people and family members and friends where you're in a position where you almost have to like defend your faith, where you might find people making kind of sneering, snarky remarks about why are you going to church and why do you believe in that stuff? And you really believe that there's a virgin birth? Are you kidding me? Like, do you really believe Jesus floated up on the clouds? Like, are you kidding me? Do you really believe he was raised from the dead? And it's actually in these Christmas environments where we see often we can experience even more persecution than normal. In fact, Peter, if you have your Bible, join me in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. It's also laid out for you in our church app. And this is what it says in 1 Peter 3, and we're going to read from verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? This should be a rhetorical question, and the answer should be, no one should want to harm you if you're just doing good. And I like that Peter, just before he asks this question, he gives a list of the good he wants us to do. So he's very particular about what is good, and it tells us in the previous verses, verse 8 and 9 of 1 Peter 3, Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted. Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and He will grant you His blessing. I mean, these are good things. Sympathize with people, love people, be tender-hearted towards them, be humble, don't repay evil for evil. Don't insult people just because they're insulting you. Pay them back with a blessing. I mean, you would ask the question, who would have a problem with this? Like, who would have a problem with you doing good things? And I wish the answer would be, no one would have a problem just if you're good. But that's not the reality, is it? The reality is even when we're doing good, even when our heart's in the right place, we can catch heat for that. We can catch criticism for that. Actually, the more that this world tolerates and embraces evil, the more good becomes unacceptable. And you can even see in this Christmas story that these are people doing good things and walking in obedience, and still they get persecuted. I mean, you look at this young girl, Mary, visited by this angel. The Lord says, I have a divine appointment for you. I have a mission from you that's been thousands of years in the making. You will bear the Son, the Messiah, the Son of God will come from your womb. I mean, this is like, she's chosen. She's highly anointed. But that doesn't mean she goes into a problem-free life. In fact, it's because of her calling, because she's highly anointed, because she responded in obedience that now the love of her life wants nothing to do with her. That now her relationship is at risk the man that she was betrothed to wants to leave her and divorce her and is ashamed of her. Now her lifelong reputation of being this pure woman, totally thrown out the door, straight away. Now she's pregnant outside of wedlock. It's actually because of Mary's obedience that she's now facing persecution. 
You see it with these, these wise men, right? I mean, this group of men accurately read the stars, accurately see God's signs that He's scattered, His, His, His signs of the coming Messiah. And they discover, hey, the Messiah is going to be born, and this time he's going to be in Bethlehem. But it's because of their obedience, because of their, 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 their wisdom in seeing the signs that now thousands of babies are being put to death. That persecution became because of obedience. And you and I have to see in our own lives that sometimes we're going to get persecuted. But persecution is not necessarily a sign that you're doing something wrong. Sometimes that persecution is a sign that you've done something right. It's often a sign of obedience. In fact, I believe that as this world legalizes immorality and it makes morality illegal, I believe more and more of us are going to see persecution amongst the Christians and against the church. More and more. I mean, guys, you don't have to believe in too many good things to now be seen as someone very extreme, someone at risk of being canceled, right? I mean, all you have to do is believe that a baby shouldn't be aborted, or that marriage is reserved for a male and a female, or that there are only two genders, or that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Just that set of beliefs alone will get you rejected from society and uh, argumentative with the world and people will call you names right like you're bigoted and you're old-fashioned and you're out of touch and you're intolerant some of you i believe have already faced that you face it in your life and perhaps you even in these coming weeks as you gather around families perhaps you're going to see it even more and it gets very hard because some of this persecution is coming from those closest to you it's coming from the husbands and the wives and the brothers the sisters the children the parents it's some of them that are the most critical about your faith and your beliefs in fact jesus says that as we get closer and closer to the second coming that these things will be more and more common that persecution really is going to increase against the church. I want to give you just one brief look at this in Mark chapter 3, verse 9 and 12 to 13. You must be on your guard, Jesus says. Look at someone and say, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so here's something that I think as Christians we're going to have to start making peace with, and it's this. Persecution is guaranteed. It's a guarantee. In fact, how about you encourage someone with this truth, look at them and say, you will be persecuted. And maybe it will be something small, like a mocking remark in an office or a nasty comment online. But there will come a time, certainly Christians in this world are experiencing that time already today, where persecution will mean death. Death to you, death to a family member, 
Persecution is guaranteed. Listen to this. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, it says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How's that for a promise of God? Everyone, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Which means the reverse of this is also going to be true, right? If you don't want to be persecuted, don't live a godly life in Christ. If you're not being persecuted, you've got to ask yourself the question, am I truly living out my faith? If there is no persecution in my life, am I being bold enough and public enough and open enough about my faith? Because Scripture has said, when you are living a godly life in Jesus Christ, there will be persecution against you and against your beliefs. Persecution is guaranteed, church. Now, I want us to go back to that verse I read in 1 Peter, and I want us to see the rest of that question from verse 13. Peter says, Now who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But, everyone say but. But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, because sometimes we will suffer for doing what is right, he says, God will reward you for it. Sometimes you're going to suffer for doing the right thing. And God will reward you. Now, it's important to know that the suffering does not come when you've created it for doing the wrong thing. Right? And you can't be like, oh, I'm suffering right now because of my hatred, because of my unforgiveness, because of my lust, because of my theft, because of my corruption. Oh, God's going to reward me because I'm suffering. No, no, no. If you've created that, and you, if you're suffering for doing wrong, there's no reward in that. But if you're willing to suffer for doing what is right, you're going to lose the opportunity of that income because you're not willing to take the bribe. Right? You're going to put up with your husband or your wife mocking you every time you have to drive to church. Like you say, I'm willing to suffer for doing what is right. It is God will reward you. There is a reward for that, either in this life or certainly in the next. There is a reward coming when you and I are willing to suffer for Christ, when we are willing to suffer for God. You see, church, the world will tolerate you for a while, but they won't tolerate you forever. And you know why? I don't know if you've ever been in a very dark room. I'm sure we've all had that experience in a dark room or even at night. Do you know in a dark room, your pupils dilate and you start to get used to the dark and you start to be able to see well and live well in the dark? Well, in that place of darkness, it is offensive when there's a bright light, right? In a dark room, have you ever walked outside and you can't even see anymore? Or you're in a dark room and someone puts on a bright light or opens up the doors or opens up the windows and suddenly you're like, whoa, 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 I don't want to see that, right? And so this is often how the world responds to us. We are the light of the world. When we come into someone's life with our light, they're like, whoa, that's just too bright. That's just too much. And they just naturally seem to reject us and push us away. They're not always going to be tolerant of your brightness because they are living in darkness. Even when you are doing good, be prepared to suffer for Christ. And so I think what we should do as a church and as people heading in closer, you know, every day we're getting closer to the return of Christ. Knowing that persecution is going to come even more we should stop making peace with the fact that we will be persecuted instead of being surprised by it every time it happens. Oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe they said that. Like, oh, I don't know if God still loves me. I don't know if he's with me. Why is it so hard for me? Why am I being, no, no, no. 
I think we just need to get to a place as a church where we stop making peace with the fact that Jesus Christ comes with persecution. And following him, living a godly life, will come with some level of rejection, with some level of resistance. It is coming. Persecution is guaranteed. We see it in the life of Jesus. The Gospels tells us that Jesus went around doing good. Everyone say doing good. And he really did. You read these pages. He did so much good. He opened the eyes of the blind. Good. He fed the hungry. Good. He uplifted children and women. Good. He raised people from the dead. Good. He healed the sick. Good. And yet the world rejected him. To the point of death, they wanted him dead. His light was too bright. In John 15, verse 19, Jesus says, As it is, you do not belong to this world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And to church, the point really is this. Persecution is often the result of obedience. Persecution is a result of obedience. Sometimes when you're doing exactly what God wants you to do and saying exactly what God wants you to say, sometimes persecution is a result of being obedient to God. Because there's going to come a time, if you are living a godly life, there's going to come a time where someone asks you why you live like that. Why do you forgive so easily? Why are you slow to anger? Why are you so patient? Why are you so loving? Why are you so humble? Why are you such a servant? Like if we're living this godly life, someone's going to ask you why. And, and what are you going to say? You're not going to be like, well, I don't know, actually. I don't know. No, of course, you're going to be like, it's because I believe in Jesus Christ. I live like this because Jesus is in me, and I want to follow him. I don't want to live like him. Of course, you're going to give a reason. And the moment you say that, you know, we say that to people, it's like a, it's like a firework goes off in them. They're like, ah! Oh, not you. You're one of those Jesus people. You're one of those religious nuts. And they, they get so explosive because they look at us as Christians and they think, well, your way is so narrow. You're so narrow-minded. You're so exclusionary. You think you're better than anyone else because Jack, you found the way and no one else has a way and no one else's God matters. I see it on social media as I post Christian content. I see people giving these comments like, oh, you Christians think you know the way. They say things like, all gods are the same, man. You Christians think you're better than anyone else. And the reality is, we're definitely not better than anyone else. But we also definitely have a better message than anyone else. Because our message is, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've lived, there is freedom from sin, and you can have eternity with the God of creation. You are welcome in. Guys, I promise you, if there were 389 ways to get to heaven, I would stand on the stage and preach all 389 ways. But this Bible tells me there is only one way to get to heaven. It tells us this in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And so when you, when you share that, People don't like it. They don't like that there's only one way. They don't like that you believe that there's only one God. They don't like that there's only one way to Christ. And so 
If you share that message, you will be persecuted for it. You will be rejected for it. You will be criticized for it. And so what I love about what Peter teaches us is he tells us exactly how to respond to this persecution. Once we've settled in our heart that persecution is guaranteed, it's often a sign of obedience. Once we've settled like, okay, it's coming, I'm gonna get rejected by friends, I'm gonna get rejected by family, I'm gonna get rejected by work colleagues. Once we've put that in our hearts, like, okay, rejection's part of the Christian experience, then Peter teaches us exactly how to respond to when we're gonna get persecuted. Like, how do I respond? What should I do? Like, what's a fitting response to these people who are persecuting me? And here he gives it to us in verses 14 to 17 of 1 Peter 3. He says, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Okay, so here in that one piece of text, Peter gives us three ways you and I should respond to persecution. The first is this. Worship instead of worry. Look at someone and say, don't worry, just worship. We get this from that first sentence there in 1 Peter 3 verse 14. It says, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ. So don't worry or be afraid. Instead, worship. Don't worry, worship. You know, persecution can make us worry. Makes us worry about a lot of things. We worry about our reputation, right? Like, oh, what are these people thinking of me? Do they just think now I'm a religious nut? Do they think I'm judging them? Do they think I'm a critical? Do they think I'm like self-righteous and putting myself above them? So we worry about our reputation. It, it makes us worry about our future. Like, oh, is, my, is my husband gonna leave me because of this? Or are my kids gonna reject me? Is my wife gonna reject me? Are my parents now gonna wanna cut off a relationship? Am I not going to get this promotion? Am I going to lose my job because I've been outward about my faith? So we worry about our future. We worry about our security. Like, are they going to attack me verbally or emotionally or online? Are they going to bully me? Are they going to criticize me? So by default, persecution makes us worry. But Peter says, hey, when you feel the worry coming because of persecution, don't worry just worship. You know why? Because worship has this unique way of refocusing our vision, right? And it takes it off all these people and all these things, that, these things in the world that are negative, and it pushes our focus onto God. And as I start focusing on God, I realize, oh God, you're my provider, not that job. God, you're my security. You're my protection, not those people. God, your opinion is the one I really matter, that really matters, that I really value, not the opinion of men and women. And so worship has this great way of just lifting your eyes to God and, and resetting your vision, refocusing your vision on what really matters. So it really gives you strength. And I want to encourage you, almost do what it says in Isaiah 61. It says, for, for the spirit of heaviness, I'm going to put on a garment of praise. If you're in a place right now where you're being belittled or teased or mocked or rejected because of your faith, I want to encourage you, don't worry about it. 
Just worship God. It will realign your faith. Second thing we're told to do when we're being persecuted is that we have to be ready to explain. Look at someone and say, get ready to explain. We get this from verse 15 of 1 Peter 3. It says, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, I love that first part. If someone asks. Right, so this is not about like, I'm going to just shove this down their throats. They weren't asking for it, but I'm just going to make sure they know. I'm going to bash them with the Bible that they don't believe in. I'm going to hold them to this lifestyle that they haven't signed up for. No, no, no. If someone is observing how you live, and then they ask you, hey, so why do you believe this stuff? What made you a Christian? Scripture saying, are you ready to explain? Are you ready to give an answer to that question? In fact, <clears throat> that word explain in the original Greek is this word apologia, and it's where the word we get apology for or apologetics from, and it's actually a word that talks about someone presenting their case in court before a judge and jury. So this is what the scripture is saying. Are you ready to present your case in front of your judges and jury? Because ultimately, as Christians, we're kind of all living in a public courthouse. And people are always on the fence. They're always deciding all day long, am I going to believe in Jesus? Am I going to believe that case? Am I not? Am I going to accept it? Am I going to reject it? What's my verdict going to be? And a lot of that's going to be based on how you live and what you say. And so Peter's saying, are you ready to give an account? And, and, and I want to ask you, point blank, are you ready to tell people why you believe? As you sit here today, are you ready with that story? Because I think for some of you, this is the only reason maybe God brought you to church today is because you're not ready. Maybe that's going to be your homework. I'm going to go get ready. I mean, if I had to ask you to turn to the person next to you and explain to them why you believe in Jesus, do you have something to say? Because if we don't, when people are persecuting us, right, and then suddenly we have to give an account, in that t place of persecution, if we're not ready, we're like, I don't know, I kind of just grew, grew up in the church, right? We don't have a fitting response or a convincing one. And so I want to invite you to get ready, get your story straight. Why do you believe in Jesus? Ask yourself, why? Why do I believe? How will I explain this to someone? And I want to encourage you, don't get all technical and historical and scientific and humanetics and Greek meanings and blah, blah, blah. Just tell your story. How did Jesus change your life? What has he meant to you? What has he said to you? What has he led you to do? What about your life is different from after you've met Jesus to before? Like, just tell your story. Because people can argue that the Bible's not true, or that Jesus didn't live, or that this didn't happen, but they can't argue about your story. So your story is bulletproof. What? The, if they argue about your story, then they're essentially calling you a liar. Right? You can say, this happened to me. And this is why I believe, because this is what happened to me. So get your story ready. Are you ready with your testimony about why you believe? And then when you're sharing that story, listen to this. Peter says, not just what to do, he actually tells us how to do it. I want to go back to 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. And then he tells us how. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Guys, 
He's talking about your persecutors. When you're talking to your persecutor, it's so easy for your heart to turn against these people. It's so easy for you to get argumentative and defensive, right? It's so easy for you to get angry with them. Like, just stop it, and I want nothing to do with it. It's so easy. But actually, Peter's saying, no, no, no. Be ready to explain and keep your heart for them. When you explain, be gentle and be respectful. Don't pitch up at work the next day with signs, you're going to hell. God doesn't love what you're doing. Ah, No, no, no. We don't judge people into the kingdom. We love them in. And your life should be an invitation to say, hey, come and meet the Jesus that I've met. He's so incredible, and there's room for you and my family. Like, that has to be our attitude, even when someone has persecuted us, even when they've mocked us, even when they've bullied us, even when they've said horrible things about us behind our backs, even when they've judged us, stay respectful. Don't let your heart turn against them. Speak to them in a way that is loving. This is not about winning the debate. You can win a lot of arguments and at the same time, lose a lot of people. This is not about winning an argument. It's about winning a soul for Jesus. And so even in our conversations, we don't want to be argumentative. We don't want to try to win the debate. We want to listen to them, listen to their questions, and as best as we can, answer what we can and what we can't. We go say, hey, I'm going to find out about that for you, and you come back. You share again with them what you've learned. Give your answer in a way that is gentle, humble, respectful. So, when we're persecuted, what do we do? Well, number one, I'm going to start to worship God, and I'm not going to worry. This will also keep my heart loving the people that are persecuting me. Number two, okay, I'm going to get ready with my story. I'm going to get ready with my defense. But when I, when I have the opportunity to share my defense when they ask, I'm going to do it in a way that's loving, respectful, gentle. And number three, the final thing Peter tells us to do if we are being persecuted, number three, live holy. Look at someone and say, live holy. We get this actually from um, verses 16 and 17 of 1 Peter 3. It says this, keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. There's no better way to silence your critics than to have a clean conscience. It's one of the best things you can own. We even see Paul, as he's going to defend his faith in front of the Sanhedrins in Acts 23. He says this in Acts 23 verse 1, Paul began, Brothers, I've always lived before God with a clear conscience. You know what a conscience is? It's that inner voice that God gives you that tells you right from wrong. It's this inner voice that gets, by the way, remade at your salvation. It's just now this inner prompting of the Holy Spirit that tells you what you're doing is right or wrong. It's just prompting this inner, verse, this inner voice that either affirms your behavior or rejects it. And Scripture saying, do not violate your conscience because you can undermine your testimony with your lifestyle. You can decay your story with how you live. Because they hear you, they hear you love Jesus, and then they watch you live in a way 
that clearly does not show any love to Jesus. So the Bible says, don't violate, don't violate your conscience. Don't destroy your testimony with your lifestyle. Because there's nothing worse, church, and we've seen this happen, right? People are against someone and they're attacking them and they're persecuting them. And that person's like, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus. But then that very same person cheats on his wife. It validates all their accusers. Right, when it's that person, it's that person that we've been accusing who says, I'm a Christian. And we were, they're being persecuted. And then we find out later, it's that person, that Christian, that was actually cheating. It's that Christian that was stealing the money. It's that Christian that broke our trust. It's that Christian who was unreliable. It's that Christian who was gossiping about us behind our back all this time. And suddenly, because you violated your conscience, oof, you have now destroyed your own witness. You've decayed your own testimony by your lifestyle. And so as you get ready to explain, you've got to say, God, just scan me, examine my heart, like David says. Is there anything in me that's offensive to you, Lord? Is there anything in my life that right now is decaying my testimony? And this is not about living perfectly and not making mistakes, guys. We know Scripture's so gracious and so loving and there's always a chance, but it's about saying, don't violate your conscience. If there's things in your life that you know are violating your conscience, sort it out. Because if you are being persecuted and there's all this stuff going on in secret, you are going to be undermining your own testimony and no one will believe you. And you will prove all your accusers right. But there's something else beautiful that a clean conscience does. You know, um, this year I've gone a little bit viral with some videos on social media. And so I've had some videos like reach millions of views. And it's been really interesting because you can imagine as you're putting Christian content out into the world, you can imagine the amount of comments that come with it. I had one super viral video in like July this year or June. And uh, man, the comments on that stuff was just like, Bleh. and actually there were so many negative comments that a lot of people in the church started getting concerned for me. And so over, the, over that week, I started getting WhatsApps from people like, Pastor Ryan, are you okay? Like, are you all right? I'm sorry, we saw, we saw, what must you say? Like, must we defend you? Like, you know, I saw these people like showing just concern, like, are you okay? And how are you dealing with this? And how are these comments getting to you? And I thought it was very sweet that these people were concerned on my behalf. But what I found was quite interesting is that those comments meant nothing to me. Like, they didn't affect me at all. And I realize it's because I've already learned in ministry, because this is something you have to learn in ministry. I've had my fair share of critics, had my share, share fair of people against me in this ministry. And you have to come to a place, and this is what I try to picture doing. If there's a decision I've made or something I've said that people are against, I picture myself coming into the throne room of God and standing before His throne. And I picture myself, and I always want to check, can I say this, Lord, that was for you. And when I said that, I did it with good intentions. I did it to please you. And I did this because I thought it would honor you. And if it can pass that test, if I can picture myself saying, God, when I said that, when I did that, I believe that was a right move. And I believe that honored you. The moment I get to that place, guys, I tell you what, it just matters very little to me what anyone else says or thinks. Because I know the God of creation approves of it. And so it just really has a beautiful way of thickening your skin. And I think that's what Paul, Peter's saying here. 
is live with a clear conscience. Because when you realize you have the approval from the God of creation for the things you said, for the testimony that you shared, for the boldness of your faith, for sharing the message of Jesus, like when you realize that God approved of that, well, then it just doesn't matter that you didn't approve. <laughs> like, because kind of God always outvotes you. Like, His opinion matters so much more to me than yours. And so I think living and trying to live in a clear conscience and, and saying, hey, you know, when I shared that with my coworkers, when I did that in my house, when I came to church, when I posted that online and people were against me, but God, were you okay with that? And God, I really think you were. Well, then who cares? <laughs> who cares what anyone else in this world thinks or says? Because God was okay with that. So I think there's so much power in living and trying to live with a clean conscience before the Lord. In fact, I, I believe David really got to this place. Psalm 56, I love this. He says, Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Oh, I love that. You know, when I trust in God, why should I be afraid? Why would I have fear? Why would I worry about what you say and what you think? What can a mortal do to me when my trust is in the God of creation? And I want to encourage you, church, to get to that place. We have to realize persecution is coming. It's coming fast. It's coming hard. We've got to make peace with the fact that just because I'm persecuted, that doesn't mean I've done something wrong. No, that often means it's because I'm doing good and because I'm in obedience. So when I am persecuted, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to worship God instead of worry. Number two, I'm going to get ready with my story, but I'm going to do this in a loving way, right? In a respectful way. And number three, I'm going to check my conscience. I'm going to get my life right. I'm going to live as holy as I can, realizing there's grace for when I mess up. But I'm going to live before God to say, God, what I did, what I said then, I really believe that honored you. And if it didn't, and you didn't do the right thing, go make right, go apologize, put it right, because that also gets your conscience clean before the Lord. And so I want to ask you, are you ready with your story? But even more than that, are you ready to be persecuted? your faith some of you you're hiding you're hiding your faith so hard no one close to you no one you work with no one in your family even knows like this is a secret part of your life and i want to remind you that's not how we live as christians we are the light of the world we do not hide our lights under a lampshade we put it out for the world to see the world needs to know you love jesus christ and you believe in him because your light will impact others you will reach people we can't reach. There are people in your office only you can get to. There are people in your family, in your friendship circles, only you can get to. So be bold and be willing to be persecuted. Persecution's coming and it's okay. Worship, share your story and live holy. I wanna pray for you. Can you close your eyes? Today, I want to pray for specific people who maybe are already facing some kind of persecution in their life. They have a spouse, a 
child, a parent, a friend, a coworker, a boss, who really doesn't understand their faith, who's constantly arguing with them, attacking them. Maybe you feel like you've been criticized, rejected. Maybe you've lost some relationships already because of your faith. And you don't know how to handle it. Well, I wanna remind you, Scripture's clear on what you should do. And I, I wanna just pray that you would have the strength to do it today. Just so I know who I'm praying for. If that's you, if you've been persecuted in any part of your life, can you just put up your hand and put it down so I know who I'm praying for? Thank you, thank you. Hands all over this room. Thank you, thank you. Beautiful. Okay, Father God, you brought these people for a reason. By your Holy Spirit today, would you strengthen them? Give them a boldness to stand for you in the, in the middle of their accusers, Lord. As their voices rise up around them, Help them stand for you, Lord, and help them stand in love. God, I want to pray against unforgiveness and bitterness for everyone who's turned against their accuser, who now hates them, who's now against them. Father God, would you turn their hearts back, Father? Would you use us to be the ones who reach our accusers? Would you use us to be the ones who love our accusers? God, may they see you inside of us, your undying, unconditional love inside of us, Lord. Help us love those people particularly well. So God, remind your children to worship you. Adjust their focus onto who you are. Remind them, Lord God, of their story. May they share that story with love, but with conviction. Father God, would you just point out anything in their life they need to sort out, anything that's undermining their witness, anything that's decaying their testimony, help them love and live well and holy before you. Strengthen your children, oh God, I pray in your holy name. And God's people said, Amen.